In honor of today's review, I will be wearing a comically large mustache during recording, which I will then digitally remove. I have a feeling this isn't going to work out very well. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this episode, we're going to unite the uh, six for an in-depth spoiler conversation about the new DC Extended Universe film, Justice League, directed by Zack Snyder and no one else, entirely no one else. This is only Zack Snyder's vision, but we'll get to that in a second. Normally, this is the part of the episode where I tell you guys other things I may have been watching other than the featured review or, uh, you know, new releases or whatever, but I really kind of been focusing mostly on older films lately. I, I have Colossal as my next newer one that I from this year that I'm catching up with. I've heard nothing but good things about that. But other than that, I've been going back watching old Taika Waititi films that I had yet to see. I just saw Eagle vs. Shark. Um, and actually the Rocky franchise and the Planet of the Apes franchise. It's, I've seen all the Rocky movies, I think, like a million years ago when I was a kid. And and, uh, you know, with all the Creed 2 news coming out on a regular basis and uh, that film coming out, I think I don't even know if they released uh, announced a release date, but uh, I felt like it was time to go back and, and we'll revisit those. Saw the first one recently and it's it still holds up. It's a great film, as if you guys didn't already know. And the Planet of the Apes movies, uh, the original series, I saw the first one a million years ago. Uh, Beneath was, and Escape from the Planet of the Apes was actually pretty decent, so if you guys haven't seen that one, the third orig uh, original Planet of the Apes film, not War for the Planet of the Apes, Escape from the Planet of the Apes from, uh, what is it, I think it's like the uh, early 70s, and it's like 1971 or 2, um, definitely go check that out if you're a fan of that franchise. It's pretty much all I've been watching now, uh, I'm probably going to try and catch up on some of the big awards films. I'm hoping to see three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri soon, as well as Lady Bird, which actually hasn't come to my city yet. Um, but, you know, when I see those, I'll definitely talk about them on the podcast. But this episode, we're devoting pretty much the rest of the the runtime to Justice League. So let's get into our review of Justice League. Where are they? Arthur Curry. The Aquaman. It's on him. Organic and biomechatronic body parts. He's a cyborg. You should probably move. Barry Allen. Whoever you're looking for, it's not me. You're the Batman. They said the age of heroes would never come again. It has to. It's been a real cinematic will they or won't they this last decade or so as we've watched to see if Warner Brothers and DC Films was going to actually get a big screen adaptation of the Justice League out in theaters. Of course, 10 years ago, George Miller of Mad Max Fury Road and its predecessors fame um, almost made Justice League Mortal, which would have had Army Hammer and a bunch of other uh, a bunch of other people in it. Of course, that never happened. And now we have this version directed by Zack Snyder. And as as far as you guys know, the uh, reviews on the show always go in a very similar format. We're going to talk about the hype, the story, the cast, the production, and then finally the verdict. So talking about the hype, we covered that pretty well in the previous episode in which I reviewed Man of Steel, talked about the DCEU to date, including all the previous entries, all of which we've discussed on the podcast before. You can see the links in the show notes below. But uh, going into this, you know that Warner Brothers is really hoping 
for Justice League to mark a major success. This would have been confirmation of the new direction that the DCU is going in, in the wake of Wonder Woman's success. That was their, basically, their answer to the Avengers, which is still considered among the best creatively and among the best uh, financially in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, you know, with the way that this went down, obviously we had all kinds of production issues going on. Zack Snyder had to step away due to a personal tragedy. And Joss Whedon came in, which I mentioned on the previous episode, actually could have opened up the possibility for a, a the perfect creative marriage between the visionary style of Zack Snyder and the, you know, writing prowess and character dynamic experience of Joss Whedon, since he's obviously worked in ensemble genre storytelling pretty much his entire career. Uh, although it was brought together by terrible circumstances, I thought that maybe that could have evolved into something really interesting with Justice League. So let's go into the story. As as, as, I, as I mentioned, this one opens up uh, as... Tell me, stop me if this sounds familiar. An alien force emerges from the bowels of space to reclaim a series of artifacts that are ultimately going to allow a tyrant from outer space, from outer space, the power to conquer Earth and remake it in his own image. If that doesn't sound like Infinity War to you and Thanos and the uh, Infinity Stones and everything's been going on in the Marvel side of things, you clearly haven't been paying attention. But it also just as equally applies to uh, Steppenwolf, this movie. Uh, CG character, the CG villain here, voiced by Siren Hines, coming to Earth and looking for three mother boxes, uh, first of which we got a glimpse of in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, uh, in the Cyborg YouTube clip, I guess, and um, here in which he has to find them on uh, Themyscira, Earth, as I mentioned, and Atlantis, and unite those three, setting the, sort of setting the stage for supposedly dark side to come to Earth and turn Earth into a new apocalypse. So, of course, Steppenwolf comes uh, complete with his own faceless army of uh, alien creatures. And the, this, to this time, of course, they're the Parademons, whereas in the Avengers we got the Chitari. So, story-wise, those two films are very similar. Like, base premise level, you have this cosmic threat coming to Earth to come to um, with an army to take over, and a team needs to be formed to counter that threat. So in this one, the big difference here, the most obvious difference in this story is the villain here is terrible. Siren Hines is a, a very talented actor, very charismatic on screen. For some reason, with Steppenwolf, they did not go motion capture. They did not go practical effects. They just went CG, and he looks really bad. Not only does he look really bad, he's got no personality, and he's basically, uh, you know complete opposite of Loki in the Avengers. If Loki is the high bar for superhero, modern superhero villains, um, at least in the Marvel side of things, obviously on the DC side, it's probably still Heath Ledger's Joker. Steppenwolf is probably the low bar, like the lowest, the, the weakest villain they've had in these DC films. Uh, kind of close with uh, Incubus slash the, uh, in the Enchantress. In Suicide Squad. I'd say that's a kind of an even keel. Because those are pretty bad. Poor, worse than Zod. Worse than Lex Luthor. Worse than uh, Ares. It, it's it's really bad. And um, not to make things worse. The pacing in this film. Is very uneven. It jumps from Joss Whedon level comedy. To Zack Snyder level stakes. And it goes back and forth. So it's. If you haven't. If you're watching the film. And you know about all the drama behind the scenes. 
it's it's pretty easy to pick out, well, this feels like a Joss Whedon scene, this feels like a Zack Snyder scene, and, and those because of that, the tone sort of shifts back and forth. Overall, if you split the difference, though, the tone of Justice League, I think, is a lot, uh, a lot more in line with uh, something like Wonder Woman, with where the DC films should be going in the future. Where it's serious when it needs to be serious, and it's light when it needs to be light, and it has that levity sort of spread throughout. Uh, thanks to production production issues, of course, though, the Superman subplot, which becomes a major thing in the third act, not this shouldn't be spoilers for anybody that pays attention, but Superman does re- reemerge in this film, but when he does, it's it's in a very ham-fisted way, and it feels like his entire subplot was very, very much re, very much part of the reshoots, of course. That is even more apparent with what I'm lovingly calling Mustache Gate. When, uh, for a little backstory, so Henry Cavill was shooting Mission Impossible Six, and he grew out a very, uh, a very imposing mustache for his, uh, his co-starring role in that Tom Cruise vehicle. And uh, when the Justice League production went back for reshoots, he was contractually obligated not to shave his mustache. Paramount had him locked down and under contract and uh, didn't want to let him just, you know, shave and then put a fake mustache on after or regrow the mustache or anything. So they basically digitally removed his mustache in all the reshoot, reshot footage. That's very obvious in the beginning scene here with uh, the cell phone video of a little kid interviewing uh, Superman. It's obvious in the post-credits, mid-credits scene with the Flash those are probably the most egregious examples of it in this movie, though every once in a while he has very like a swollen jaw effect because of the CG that they tried to do on his face. And it, it makes it really obvious which scenes Joss Whedon did. And uh, I guess we're getting ahead of things a little. This was supposed to be more on the production side of things. But because of that, his storyline obviously was very much reworked. Um, this film does a lot of work to position Superman as a symbol of hope. I think it does it in, in a ultimately successful, though choppy way. Uh, definitely positioning, positioning Cavill as, uh, you know, completing his arc over these three films. Between Man of Steel, BVS, and uh, Justice League, he's clearly supposed to now have gone through all this angsty stuff. And coming on the other side, the symbol of truth and justice and uh, the American way or the global way because, you know, box office and all that. So but because of the reshoots with Superman, his return comes very much out of left field and uh, essentially brings the story to a halt. It feels like we get a, uh, you know, sort of a, bo- not a bottle episode, but like a uh, tangent episode in the middle of this Justice League uh, adventure. And in that way, I guess the, the, sh- the film does feel very much like a live-action Saturday morning cartoon. Uh, that's not necessarily a, a detriment. I think these characters, this whole concept, it, uh, it is inherently you know far-fetched and supernatural and all that. And I think when movies embrace that element, especially when you have a guy that talks to fish, another guy that runs really fast, uh, gods and uh, alien creatures and all that stuff, I think sometimes it helps to... Um, toe that line between taking yourself seriously and, and uh, you know, sort of deflating that seriousness periodically. And I think Justice League does a much better job of that probably than most of the DC films we've seen thus far. 
some standout moments in here. There was, of course, I think the one of the moments that everybody's been talking about. So Superman comes back, the Justice League uh, sort of confronts him, and the Flash tries to sneak around on him, and Superman's eye, of course, shifts to the side. That was a great moment, and it's it feels like one... Uh, I don't know if that was part of Snyder or Whedon's side of things, but it feels it's a very character-based uh, moment that puts those two on an even playing field. Of course, the mid-credits scene later on deals with that more directly um, as far as their powers being sort of competitive in a way, which again is a nice nod to the comic books. Um, the scene where Aquaman is sitting on the lasso of truth, and uh, I think that feels like a pretty obvious Whedon reference. And of course, everything Wonder Woman in here was freaking amazing. So transferring that over, that's a good segue into the cast. Going into here, all six Justice League members, of the six of them, I definitely think Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman is clearly the VIP. She has the same charisma, the same presence uh, as she did in her own film. Justice League follows up nicely. Her storyline involving Steve Trevor, there's mention of him um, in scenes with Batman. Uh, and, you know, she her, um, her opening action sequence here in which she saves some civilians in a, in a bank, or I think it's a bank, from terrorists, that was very satisfying. You get the Wonder Woman theme, sort of a more muted version of it, but you get it there nonetheless. And she has a commanding presence. It definitely feels like Wonder Woman is the Iron Man of this franchise. She's clearly like um, she's clearly usurped Batman and Superman at this point, as far as being the character that they can build this franchise around. Since Superman, this version of Superman has always been sort of divisive, and Batman. It's probably heading for a pretty major casting uh, casting shift here as Affleck is, you know, rumors continue to swirl that Affleck is on his way out. You can see his performance here. It, it's not terrible because I think he, I did think he was a strong, uh, he did a strong performance in BVS as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. Um, but in this one, it does feel like he does come across kind of listless. For the most part, Batman's supposed to be very quiet, internalized, and broody. And I think that it, it works in a lot of his Bruce Wayne stuff. But considering how much I love Batman, going into this movie and realizing that Batman was one of the less interesting characters was a little bit disappointing for me. Um, especially since a lot of the trailers positioned him as a co-leader of this version of the Justice League, at least until Superman comes around. Um, I, I did feel like a lot of the weight was shifting more to, I guess, the other more supporting characters. That leads us into, of course, you know, uh, Ray Fisher as Cyborg. He was great. I think he brought a lot of uh, a lot of personality and a lot of pathos to that character, who I'm really not that familiar with, aside from some of the animated films. And uh, I, so much to my surprise, I'm actually totally open to the idea of a Cyborg movie. And it, before before seeing Justice League, I knew that they had announced well, a million years ago. They announced a lot of movies most of which are probably going to fall flat and not even uh, get to production to begin with. But they had announced a Cyborg movie for 2020. I don't, I doubt if it's still happening, at least def at least by 2020. But after seeing Ray Fisher in this movie, I'm definitely down for more of him. I could see him probably getting a supporting role in the Flashpoint movie rather than his own film, at least for now. But uh, Ray Fisher did a great job, and of all the actors, he's the one I'm least familiar with and probably one of the characters I'm least familiar with. Jason Momoa as Aquaman, he has, he's, that's basic, let's break it down, he's basically a surfer bro uh, who lives under the ocean, pretty much, 
And you don't get much of his mythology here from reports. They cut a lot of it out. There were a lot of scenes of uh, him and Willem Dafoe, who's set to appear in Aquaman, James Wan's Aquaman, coming next year. Um, I think there was probably supposed to be more Amber Heard. You get basically a very chopped-up action sequence in Atlantis underwater with him trying to stop Steppenwolf from getting one of the mother boxes. And uh, that scene was not super satisfying. I, I don't know if it's the way that they visualized it or what. I think James Wan has a lot of... Uh, great experience behind him, and I think he can probably make that make Aquaman's story really interesting. I think there is an interesting story there of a, of a man sort of caught between two worlds and not wanting to uh, take over the throne of his the kingdom that he it is his birthright. Sort of Thorish in a lot of ways. It's basically underwater Thor um, with a lot of the same Shakespearean overtones and stuff. But we'll get to that next year. Um, Ezra Miller here. I'm obviously a big fan of The Flash. I've talked about it before on here. I really love the show, The Flash, and it was hard for me initially to imagine anybody playing that character other than Grant Gustin. But I think Ezra Miller, Ezra Miller has a very interesting, um, if, albeit very slapsticky, uh, comic relief take on the character. I think there's a lot of room for him to grow. I think he gets some of the best moments in this film, as I mentioned with the, the moment with Superman, and. Um, you know, I I could see him growing to become a a an integral part of the DCEU, especially if they go through and they do sort of a soft reboot with Flashpoint. I think it's pretty clear here that that Ezra Miller and a lot of these other cast members, actually, with the exception of probably Affleck, are are pretty comfortable uh, in these roles and probably around for the long haul. So going with the last Justice League member, who I guess is the surprise one, but not really. Yeah, Henry Cavill here it seemed kind of oddly disconnected and flat at times. Like I said, the fact that the uh, the mustache thing happened didn't help, and um, you know he he's his character races through a lot of story really fast, being brought to life, being sort of dark Superman for about five minutes, and then basically spending most of the rest of the third act reacclimating himself until eventually he joins the fight. Uh, I like where the character arc for Superman ends when all this is said and done. And I'm looking forward to seeing Cavill do some more with it going forward. I really wish that they would just announce Man of Steel 2 or whatever they end up calling it. I'd, I'd nominate Last Son of Krypton or something. Um, just because Man of Steel has divided its fans. And I think that you probably don't want to necessarily just go with a Man of Steel 2. Just do a Dark Knight style uh titling here and just go like superman last son of krypton or, or even last son of krypton i mean uh i think that there's a lot of potential for henry cavill to finally get to play the superman that people wanting been wanting him to play since the beginning uh, going into everybody else there were a lot of underserved supporting players here amy adams is in here basically to be superman's uh, superman's i guess soft spot to to be the one to snap him out of it and that really touched that really was very underplayed um, payoff, I guess. A lot of people have been saying about how that's supposed to be the payoff to the Flash vision or nightmare sequence in the in BVS that Lois Lane is the key. And if that's, I mean, at this point, there's such disconnect between BVS and Justice League. I think that they should just say, oh, yep, that was it, and then move on because better to start fresh. Let this be the Days of Future Past, sort of this contained mess of a film. 
Um, and then, you know, start fresh from here going forward. Jeremy Irons was great in the moments that he had. Didn't have that many of them, but, you know, regardless whether or not Affleck sticks around, I like to see Jeremy Irons still be a part of this thing. Joe Morton is always messing with technology, whether it's in Terminator or in uh, the DCEU. He's great here as uh, Silas Stone. Uh, I would expect he would have a pretty big role in the Cyborg film if that happens or, you know, just pop up um, going forward. I really hope... And I, I, I think I've sort of touched on this already with the Aquaman thing, but I really hope that we do get an extended edition of this film because um, I'd love to see more from some of these people. Amber Heard has basically one scene, and she's fine as an actress. I don't really think she had, brings a lot to the screen, at least not in this film. Maybe that'll change next year. J.K. Simmons is great as Commissioner Gordon. J.K. Simmons is great in everything. I just say more J.K. Simmons everywhere. Let him pl continue playing Commissioner Gordon. Let him go back... Uh, to Marvel and play um, J. Jonah Jameson in the Spider-Man Homecoming sequel, and uh, you know just keep him around and everywhere as long as it's uh, as long as it's his tempo, as we all know. Uh, Billy Crudup in here as uh, Henry Allen, he was great. It's hard for me now to see anyone other than John Wesley Shipp in that role, but you know uh, you know he was fine here, and, and the fact that he played Doctor Manhattan. In a previous Zack Snyder film, and it's sort of playing another DC character here. I thought was kind of a fun little nod. Uh, as I mentioned, Siren Hines was fine. He's has a, he just did voice work. He didn't do anything uh, motion capture or anything. I wish that he would have done that, or that they would have just put him in makeup. Um, but as Steppenwolf didn't really give him much to work with, it's not his fault that this villain is, is falls ridiculously flat. Um, of course, it's not enough time to develop a lot of those characters thoroughly, but you know. I, hopefully you, the pieces have been laid here and we can take this forward and uh, give us a lot more of these characters going forward. It's part of what the, why, why the MCU approach was so satisfying is that we got to meet all these heroes and their respective worlds individually. And then when they did come together, it felt uh, you were emotionally connected to each and every one. As opposed to in here, you're sort of, if you know, you it depends on the person whether or not you're going to give a shit about Aquaman, Atlantis, or Amber Heard. If when that sequence comes, it feels sort of, it feels shoehorned in, even though it's not shoehorned in, because we don't know who any of these people are. And I think had we gotten an Aquaman movie and a Flash movie and some of that beforehand, not necessarily a cyborg movie beforehand, because this film sort of squeezes in a little bit of his origin and him coming to terms with his powers. Um, I'm thinking, of course, of how the animated film Justice League War which sort of serves as a cyborg movie, uh, cyborg origin movie, and then dovetails into a Justice League movie. I think this one is pretty clearly modeled after that animated film, and of course this comic book storyline that it's based on, the New 52. Um, so, you know, I hope that going forward, DC has uh, learned its lesson not to force these big team-ups prematurely and can, like, more uh be a little more patient uh, be a little more patient when it comes to laying these stories out there going into the production here so i already talked about mustache gate as i like to call it uh was really the visual effects there were really bad and really distracting um some of the visuals also especially in the third act are built very feel feel like they're ripped straight out of a mid-90s film there's that scene in whatever country they're in where this Russian family's being chased and there's like these, I don't know what they are, tentacles or whatever, something coming out of the ground and it looked like something from Mortal Kombat Annihilation or something like that. It was really disappointing considering this movie's like $200 million budget or no, $300 million budget I've read. 
the score here by Danny Elfman is fine. It feels very similar to the Hulk music that he did in 2003 for Ang Lee's film. And I love that they have the old themes in there. There's hints of the original Batman theme. There's hints of the original Superman theme. Uh, by original, I mean Danny Elfman's original Batman theme from 89. Of course, John Williams for the uh, Superman the movie back in the 70s. Um, the editing here was kind of choppy. I do feel like that's kind of unavoidable in some of these movies. The Avengers' first act is very much, here's Hulk, here's Thor, here's Iron Man. It's just like jumping from world to world. So that didn't bother me so much. I do, like I said, I really think this we need an extended version. From what I've heard, WB uh, basically laid down a mandate that this film had to be under two hours. Uh, I guess probably to squeeze more screenings into each theater each night, or also maybe in relation to the fact that some of the other films feel felt overly long. I think most specifically BVS. So it's pretty clear here where Whedon added in and lightened the tone and everything, as I said. Um, Going into the verdict, it really sounds like I didn't like this film because I did lay a lot of the criticisms out. However, that being said, there's still a lot here to enjoy in, in spite of itself. I really like the performances of most of the actors. I mentioned each of the Justice League members already. Um, I really like the big moments. There's a lot of big moments here. Um, Superman's return itself was a little underwhelming, but the confrontation with the Justice League was fun to watch. The uh, Some of the visual gags... Some of the some of the gags with uh, Aquaman and um, the emotional stakes, the, the relationship or tension, I guess, between Batman and Wonder Woman over le leadership uh, of the team and just what being a hero means. I thought that was really fun. Um, the Flash's arc and his emergence, his reluctant hero role in this, and Batman sort of being a mentor to him. That whole one save one person that was a great moment uh, that really worked for me. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the backstory for these characters, I think what was here really worked. I actually just think we needed more of it. The, you know, the production issues with Joss Whedon and Zack Snyder and who did what, I think it mars this film in a, in an unfortunate way, but I still found a lot of, you know, the little, the little boy inside me, uh, who grew up watching Batman, the animated series and the X-Men animated series and all these superhero shows and playing the video games and all, watching the, uh, the 90s Batman films, that kind of thing. Really found a lot to enjoy here, even though obviously the filmmaking is kind of sloppy and uh, the shared universe itself is still tr str still struggling to find itself. It still hasn't hit its groove. I think this might be the, the film that, that helps it get there. If you recall the Marvel Cinematic Universe, those fir the first phase one, Iron Man was good, yeah, but... Iron Man 2, the Hulk, are still considered two of the weakest. And uh, Thor and Captain America are... Uh, the, Captain America, the first Avenger, are solid films, at least my opinion, but the, neither of them is considered the apex of that franchise. I think, you know, we've already had two great... In my opinion, uh, before Justice League, we had two really solid um, DC Extended Universe entries with Man of Steel, which I still stand by. Listen to my last episode. And Wonder Woman, which is universally loved. Um, so two out of four previous films working is a 50-50. That's not bad odds. And it, I think so it feels sort of uh, fitting that about half of Justice League works and then half of it is is a fucking mess. Uh, of course, for me, as a fan of the genre, as a fan of these characters, as a fan of what DC is trying to do, it's hard for me to come down too hard on them when I did ultimately enjoy the film. 
uh, mustache gate, which Kai, by the way, noticed without knowing anything about. I wanted to make sure I mentioned that. So it looked so all of everybody out there saying, I didn't even notice it. I think you were looking for it. I think uh, I think that you're full of shit because my wife knew nothing about this whole mustache thing. She's just like, Superman looks weird. And I was like, I'll, I'll tell you later. Um, and when I told her, she really she was like, oh, that's weird. Um, you know, visual, that, that kind of stuff, uh, it, it messes up the movie. I really hope, I don't think this is going to happen, but I would really love Warner Brothers to go back in and fix that a little bit, whether you put a beard on Superman or something, because that really bums me out and it's very distracting. Some of the CG is a mess, but if we get an extended version to flesh out some of the characters and, um, you know, maybe restore a little bit more of Zack Snyder's vision and put it slightly more in line with BVS and Man of Steel. Um, so it feels like a, uh, a culmination of those storylines as it was intended to be a sort of Superman-led trilogy of DC films, I think that uh, that would help. This is really proof positive that Snyder's role, you know, while instrumental in the franchise, I think probably should come to an end. I think he's done uh, everything he can with these characters. I don't think we need to see more of him do, do Batman or Superman. I'd love to see something else happen because... Justice League, you know, I think Whedon, Whedon's influence was there to sort of smooth out some of um, Zack Snyder's storytelling weaknesses. And I think that uh, we really do need some fresh blood here. Now, whether Patty Jenkins or James Wan or somebody is going to come in and sort of be the, um, you know, the Russo brothers or the John Favreau or whoever of this franchise, I think that remains to be seen what, what uh, filmmaker will sort of take over from this point. I could see Patty Jenkins staying exclusively to Wonder Woman movies. I don't think she wants to get involved in the shared universe stuff very much. And the fact that Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman's films are probably going to mostly precede this uh, her appearance in BVS. I think that really lends itself to her being contained to that. Not that she's not a great filmmaker, but I don't think she's going to be interested in, in helming a Justice League 2 or anything like that. Um, I think that the DCU is definitely in serious jeopardy, especially with the box office returns for Justice League. It came in about 94 million, way below, um, way below expectations, about less than half of what the Avengers made, and significantly less than Wonder Woman and the other DCU entries. So something needs to happen here. They need to pivot, and I think part of that should be focusing more on Wonder Woman and getting a new Batman in there sooner rather than later. As soon as they just pull that, if Ben Affleck's going to bow out, I'd rather he bow out now or after a Flashpoint movie or something than midway through Matt Reeves' planned Batman trilogy. If you're, Whether you stick Jake Gyllenhaal in there or you take a different Batman approach. I actually wrote an article for monkeysfightingrobots.com that I will put in the show notes below, uh, kind of pitching other ways that Batman could be handled in this franchise going forward. Um, I think that they need to do that because obviously they're not going to let Batman go. He's the most recognizable um, and, you know, one of the most popular superheroes of all time and one of the most successful at the box office. So I think that we're probably going to move more into standalone films for DC going forward. Um, maybe mini team-ups like Cyborg showing up in a Flash movie, that kind of thing. But I doubt we're going to see another Justice League movie at least for a while, which I think is not a bad thing. I think they, they, they've gotten this far with this and most of the responses to the performances of these characters was positive whether the film works or not you know remains to be seen for me i'm probably three three and a half on this i know that's slightly high that's pretty high compared to most people but i ultimately all the flaws aside i did really enjoy the movie is it a mess yeah 
Is it is it great? No, not at all. Not at all. It's very flawed. And if anybody that comes out of this being like, this movie sucks, I, I understand. But I guess I've been put in the unfortunate situation of being an apologist for this one. Um, not sure how that happened because uh, I, I have... Well, I guess I, I have issues with BVS, but I, again, don't hate that as much as most people. I think it, there's a lot of... I get that stench of bad moviness from BVS more than I got it from this. I had a pretty good time for this uh, with this film as is. Uh, I've heard some people say it was boring. I was never bored. I was always engaged in what was happening. Even if what was happening felt kind of goofy and ridiculous... I'm willing to cut DC slack on this one film as long as they get their shit together going forward. So, fingers crossed. That's all we have for now. That'll be the end of my review of Justice League. Let me know what you guys thought about this episode. You can rate and review us on iTunes if you'd be so kind. You can also find the Crooked Table podcast on Stitcher. You can find me, Robert Yanis Jr., on Twitter, at Crooked Table. We're also on Facebook and the other social medias. Find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at CrookedTable.com. Next episode, I'm going to be reviewing the new Disney Pixar film, Coco, as well as laying out a Let's Talk About Six for some of the most anticipated films coming out this holiday season, that being from Thanksgiving to New Year's, going into 2018. It's been kind of a crazy uh, a crazy year for movies. Actually, there was quite a few films this year that I did enjoy and that I would, uh, I would recommend. Justice League barely sneaks into that list, uh, just because I did have... Uh, have so much fun with it even if it was even if it's sort of a guilty pleasure in a lot of ways so that's my take on it Uh, i'd love to hear what you guys have to say let me know on twitter what you think until then i've been rob we'll catch you around the table next week roll credits This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the